Amen. Praise the Lord. He is good. Well, before I turn to the Lord in prayer this morning, as you know, at least I hope you know, uh, today is Mother's Day. And so um, just wanted to begin and say and take a moment uh, to simply say thank you uh, to those who are mothers, uh, who are listening and who are here. And uh, each of you are such a blessing, and you so often give so much without thanks. And so, just want to take a moment and just say thank you. Uh, can't say it enough. It's such a blessing to so many, and we are just incredibly thank- thankful for you. And so, as we turn uh, to God's word, I want to just take a moment as well as I pray and simply thank God uh, for you, mothers, and to pray for you that you would have a blessed Mother's Day. Um, as well, and so let's let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's praise the Lord together uh, with you at home or you here. Uh, praise the Lord uh, for Him having given us our mothers for His glory and for our good. And so let's let's pray. Father, thank you, and we praise you, Lord, for your goodness, for your sovereignty your kindness that you have given us, each of us, a mother. And we thank you, Lord, for each one. We thank you for how you have used them in our lives, that uh, you have used them to to shape us, Um, whether someone here who is listening, perhaps, you know, maybe their mom, you know, they've had troubles with their mom or Uh, maybe not the best mom or whatever it may be, we see and we recognize that every mom has been given from you and we thank you, Lord. And we recognize your hand and your goodness in the mom you have given us. And we thank you for um, just the incredible ways that uh, our moms just serve and care for, um, have cared for us. And uh, for those listening, our children, that you know, are caring for them. And we thank you, Father, uh, for them. And we pray that you would be with all the moms and helping them, Father, that you give them grace, uphold them, and continue to help them to set their eyes upon Christ and upon serving Christ um, with or without things. But we come and we praise you for moms today and we thank them as well, and we pray you would uphold them and bless them this Mother's Day. And Father, as we come and turn to your word, may you help us, Lord, as we are coming and continuing in the Gospel of John, that you help us to come with hearts that are ready to be exposed, ready to be uh, fully laying at your feet, that you'd help us come recognizing that you are God and we are not, that you are good, you are gracious, you are kind, and in your goodness and your kindness and your graciousness, you sent your son into the world for us. And so may we come and even as the theme of our passage this morning is worship, may we not think that we are now turning to go to scripture and that we are now stopping worship and going on to just listening 
in hearing the word of God preached. But we are to engage in this time as an act of worship as well. And so help us, Father, to continue our time of worship. And help us to continue our time of worship in and through Christ and Christ alone. And so help us, Father, and give me grace uh, that I may clearly proclaim your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing then and returning to the Gospel of John, where we saw last week the first part of John chapter 4, so Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. And so today we turn to and return to John chapter 4 to see the second part of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. So if you'll turn then to John chapter 4, and we'll look there. Now last week, in part 1 of John chapter 4, we saw that Jesus, he spoke with the Samaritan woman and told her how he was coming to give water that never fails to satisfy. So this week, Jesus comes and calls us to true worship. So if you would then turn with me to John chapter 4, and I'll be reading in verse 7. So we're going to begin a little bit before our passage uh, this morning. So verse 7, to give a bit of context, and I'll end with verse 26. So may God bless the reading of his heart-exposing word. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it you, that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Amen. Now here, as we come to the second part of this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, what happens here may seem a bit odd. So Jesus, he tells the Samaritan woman, so part one, we saw he told her, I give living water. But now, it almost seems like, perhaps, he shifts the conversation, and this shift is not merely here. We need to see, and this is where it would not be odd, and that this shift is not merely so Jesus can make another point disconnected from the first. And perhaps you've read this passage and just thought, well, okay, he he talked about living water, and now he's talking about worship. But that's not what Jesus intends for us to see or to even come how we should approach this passage. So this is not just kind of a a continual uh, question to kind of help the conversation keep going. It's not like a conversation starter. So he's not saying, I can give you loving water and, oh, by the way, I'd like to meet your husband. Can you go go call him? You know, so he's not... Not saying, well, I don't really have much more to talk about, or you know. So let's let's ask, how's the weather? You know, if you've ever been in those kind of odd conversations with someone, and you're like, well, I don't know what to say next, so I'm just going to put something out there. Well, this is not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is being very, very intentional, and it is very much related to what he just said in part one. So Jesus is going deeper. He's going down a level deeper with the Samaritan woman. So the Samaritan woman, she is not understanding what Jesus is saying about living water. And so here, Jesus moves mercifully and intentionally to expose her. So he is taking out. She's not getting it. He's taking out his spiritual scalpel to show her and us our deep need to be unmasked. You know, and as I see what Jesus is doing here, 
I think of Hebrews 4, 12-13. How God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? It pierces and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And this is what we see Jesus doing here. He's going a level deeper, taking out his spiritual scalpel. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so Jesus is coming to show her and to show us the depth of our sin. And this is what Jesus is doing here with a Samaritan woman. He's doing and applying even Hebrews 4. No creature is hidden. And so he asks her then to call her husband. But she says that she has none, which is true. So last time we saw how at this time period and during Jesus' life on earth, a man talking with a woman wasn't quite looked at as a decent thing. It could be even perhaps be somewhat suspect. So what are his motives? What is this man's motives? Are they flirtatious? Or does he want you know, her to be his, his wife? And so these are kind of some of the things going on. So is he interested in her or is he simply talking with her? Well, this carries over in part here as well as you even see her response. Jesus asks her about her husband, husband, and she might be inclined to think, you know, well, okay, I was curious about what he was really after, but now I think it's becoming clear he might be interested in me. And her answer is perhaps, you know, partly an eva- evasion, you know, so not quite wanting to tell him the whole truth of everything that she's done, the kind of woman she is, even how the whole community around her thinks of her. And it partly is also a response that leaves the door open for another man in her life. I don't have a husband. And so, essentially, she's saying, I am available. And so we see another level of the Samaritan woman here. That she is a woman who is an outcast among outcasts, where the Jews look at the Samaritan, Samaritans and they see scum. Well, the Samaritans look at her and they see double scum. And perhaps she's showing a bit of that, at least in, from their eyes and how they view her and why they view her this way, here in her response to Jesus. But now from Jesus' side, All this is a spiritual scalpel. Either way, she cannot expect, whatever way she's taking this, she cannot expect what Jesus will say next. I mean, would you? In her mind, he doesn't doesn't know everything that she's done. Or does he? He does. And he tells her so. She was honest, but here Jesus knows more. She has had five husbands, 
and she is presently living with someone who is not her husband. And this explains a lot. It explains why she came alone to the well, explains why she came at noon. So we aren't told whether each of those men died or you know, whether they divorced her. But let me ask, what would seem reasonable to you? If someone told you they had been married five times, would your conclusion be, oh, you know, I am so sorry for your loss. I, I just don't think that we generally would come to that conclusion that all five husbands died. And if, if they had, I mean, we would start being suspicious, like, wait a minute, all five husbands died? What did you do? You know, foul play is at, at hand here. And so Jesus, he touches here, though, on one of the most sensitive areas of her life. An area of sin that has resulted in shame and being ostracized and likely her own sense of great humiliation. Perhaps one of the the areas she would like to keep hidden the most. Can you imagine this, that someone coming to you and telling you of your deepest and darkest sins and failures? And they don't just kind of know them, they can tell you them, pinpoint accuracy what they are. Well, here this is what Jesus does. He is bringing her out. She doesn't understand what he's doing. And now he is going a level deeper and saying, I want you to understand, this is not going to feel good, but here I am the living water and you cannot see this. And so I'm bringing out my scalpel and I'm going to hurt you a bit. And so Jesus exposes her even as she was hiding it away. But Jesus knew. In the early 1900s, a story was told of a cashier at a bank. And so in New York State, the man, he had invested some funds in a bank or from the bank. And so it was the bank's money he took. And he used that money and he invested it. And he was going to pay them back. But the investment failed. And he lost all of the bank's money. Now once the bank found out, the man was arrested for embezzlement and he was sent to prison. The man, he had a wife and he had a small uh, little sweet girl. And after her daddy was arrested, she came home from school one day saying how she could never go back to school again. You know, her mom coming and as a mom would do, comes and, what are you talking about? What What's going on? And after some prying, the mom found out that another little girl had called her daddy a thief. And the little girl, she wasn't just sad at this, not just ashamed at this, but she was physically undone by this. She was not doing well, and she did not go back to school. In fact, over time, she physically began to fade A physician came in and looked at her and told the mom, Madam, I must tell you this is a case in which I'm powerless. The child's heart has given 
way with the agony of the wound, your child is not going to make it. And the little girl's one request in all this, Oh, mother, sin sin for father. Let him come home and lay his head down on the pillow beside mine as he used to do. And they tried and tried to get the father out of prison and their efforts continued to fail. And However, after a time, they, the, they saw the seriousness of this and the condition of this man's daughter and a, they found a witness and they made it possible for him to come home. And so he reached home one late night and the physician was there waiting and the physician told him, I think you better go in. I'm not sure that she's going to make it until tomorrow. And so the father went into her room and the child saw him and, and said, oh, I knew it was you, Father. I knew you would come. I had been praying that God would send you. Come and lay your head down beside mine like you used to. And he did so. And she patted his cheek as she died. And she died from shame. And I would imagine that her father lived with such a weight of shame that for the rest of his life that was unbearable. Thus also this woman here. She bore such a shame. She was an outcast, hiding from her sin and from God. But Jesus knew. And you also may be hiding in your shame and your sin. But Jesus knows. You have hidden the scars and the damage and the wounds and all those things that have done such terrible things in your life and your family and your marriage or whatever it is. Jesus knows and he knows you. Yet here you are and here he is seeking after you. He is saying, I have come. I have come, Samaritan woman. I have come, whoever you are, to bear your sin, to bear your shame upon myself. All your debts, though they are many, I have come for you. I have come to save sinners. And here he is in the gospel of John coming to save you and me. And so you and I and this woman also need to admit responsibility for our sin. Jesus is not dismissing what she did. He is not making light of what she did. He is gently saying, you see your sin? You see how deep it is? You see how real it is? You see how it is Uh, caused all this damage in you, not only in your life, but between you and God. 
Remember what I said I would give you. Remember that living water. And this sets the stage for her and for you and for any of us seeing our need for Jesus. And this is just the way that God works in us as well. We see, and when we begin to see the depth of our sin, we begin being readied for this good news. This message that it's not only that we are sinners, but we are responsible for our sin and we are desperately in need of a Savior. And we and her are to admit that we are sinners. The promises sin made and that makes to us are lies, and we believe them. Sin is like an iron maiden. Upon being drawn in, perhaps all may seem well, but once it closes in upon you, Its deadly blades begin severing, begin piercing deep into you and into your life. But it is you who have entered it. It's not another. You took the step. And Jesus knows all that you have done. And so realize you are already unmasked. No one else may know, but God knows. He is intimately acquainted with every detail of our lives. God sees through the fog and through the walls that we have built around our sin to protect others from seeing it. And this may make you tremble. And that would be right. He will hold you and all of us to account. Jesus even says, every idle idle word that men shall speak shall be given account on the day of judgment. And so, if it causes you to tremble, tremble. Yet at the same time, the exposing of our sin, knowing that God knows it is meant to lead you to repentance. If you don't know Christ, it is to lead you in repentance that is turning away from sin and self and turning to Christ by faith in Him. Throwing your whole self upon Him and trusting in Him, the one who has come. The one who has come for sinners. And the woman... She replies at this and Jesus knowing all these things. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So at this, she's beginning to see that there is something more to Jesus. He is more than she thought. He is not merely another man. He's more. And the Samaritans... They believe there would be a prophet to come, even another, or even another Moses. They believe this so strongly that they took Deuteronomy 18. So if you know that passage, it's a prophet will arise like Moses. And they put it right beside Exodus 20. And if you know Exodus 20, that's the Ten Commandments. 
And so, all this is in her mind. And as he tells her these things, shows her things, the spiritual scalpel has come out. She has a question. What do you think about worship? Is true worship here on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem? Now, I know here that the way this passage is often preached, it's it's another aspect of her trying to evade Jesus' points. But I I don't think, I think that might be partially going on, but I don't think that's mainly what's going on here. I think there's more. If Jesus is a prophet, because she's making it a big admission, you are a prophet, which they would not do that unless they're saying, you are the prophet. I don't think she's saying that, but she's realizing something is different about Jesus. But if Jesus is a prophet, and perhaps even the prophet, she needs some answers on where Jesus stands. Is he for or is he against the Samaritans? So she's saying, I see you're a prophet, but I'm still not sure about you or about worship because we aren't on the same page. I have different beliefs than you do. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I I mean, I think more than anything, she's presenting an honest question to Jesus. And so the Samaritans, they believed true worship was on their mountain, Mount Gerizim. And not in Jerusalem. So I don't think that she is primarily trying to evade Jesus here. She has a real question and Jesus tells her and us, true worship is only possible through Christ. So he shows her this first by showing her and us our need for this Father. So it's not about a mountain. It's not about a place, whether temple, synagogue, or church. While she was saying, you see that mountain over there? Because they could very likely see it from Jacob's well. You see that mountain over there? That's where we worship. And Jesus is saying, no, my dear woman. The hour is coming when neither on a mountain nor in a specific place will you worship. While she was concerned with, verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Jesus, he is pointing her to the heavenly Father. You need this worship, worship of the Father. So in other words, The hour that is coming, Jesus' sacrificial death and victorious resurrection is calling all to worship the Father through Christ. And this is why Jesus says to her, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And you know, we really have already seen this. Spirit and truth. The Spirit, as in John chapter 3, being born from above, being born again. The Spirit of Ezekiel 36, I will put my Spirit within you. And the Spirit, as in John chapter 4, living water. 
that Jesus will give. And the truth, as in John chapter 1, the Word made flesh full of grace and truth. And as in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So it is only possible, true worship is only possible through Jesus. So for you and us, we must ask the very appropriate question, through whom are you worshiping? Through whom are you worshiping? And for children that are tuning in here, whether you're young, as in really young, or you're getting ready to go off to college, it may be that you have worshipped through your parents. They take you to church, or they may have done that for a time, and your faith is a derivative faith. It's a faith that relies on them. I am a Christian because they are a Christian. So it's not your own. Well, you need to embrace Christ for yourself, and not because of parents, not because of pastors, not because of anyone else, but because of Christ and Christ alone. It is Christ who calls you to worship through Him. And so children, teenagers, college students even, you need Christ. And you need to worship through Him and not through your parents or anyone else. Or it may be that you have, or we have, erected idols of self. We worship through the idols we have made. So you come to church, or perhaps you did come, and you aren't moved by Christ primarily, but you are moved by, and you bow down before your own emotions. If my emotions are not moved, I have not worshipped. Well, who told you that? Is that what we see in Scripture? That you have to worship through your emotions? If our emotions aren't moved and satisfied by Christ, but by the music, by the tune, or by something else, it is not through Christ you worship. It may well be That church is all about you and pleasing yourself. Yes, your joy is to be in Christ. But is your joy in Christ? Or, you may worship through something else. And it can be anything else. And you, you know what it is. It could be something you collect. It could be entertainment. It could be alcohol. It could be you name it. But it is that thing that you already are giving your heart over to. You lift it high above anything else. It is your God. And if, if you're listening to this and it's not just that you are lifting up something else, but it's a particular religious thing, a religion that you're lifting up, whatever it is, if it isn't through Jesus, you are not worshiping God. Scripture says 
that demons have deceived you. Paul says, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Do you want to know the root of all other religions outside of Christianity? Demonic. You are worshipping, and you're worshipping a false god, specifically a demon. William Blake, the English poet and painter, he rightly said, Man must and will have some religion. If he has not the religion of Jesus, he will have the religion of Satan and will erect the synagogue of Satan, calling the prince of the world God and destroying all who do not worship Satan under the name of God. Or, it may be that you are Worshipping through mere formalism. You know, when we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, I remember having, going to work and uh, every day, same route, day in and day out, and I knew it by heart, and it was so, such a habit, something that I just did by rot, uh, habit, that when we would go out as a family to a restaurant or wherever we're going to a friend's house, uh, oftentimes I would start driving to work. <laughs> it was just that built in. And, of course, Megan would have to kind of push me, Andrew, what are you doing? <laughs> it's not that way. It's this way. Well, such can be the case with our worship as well. The well-worn path of our Sunday worship is just mere formalism. All habit and not Christ. We don't worship through Christ. We do pray, we do sing, we do listen to the sermon, and then we do move on. So, through whom are you worshiping? And so we see the Father desires you to worship The Father is seeking out those who would worship through Christ. The Father is seeking worshipers that are born from above. If you are worshiping through Christ, it's because He sought you out. An indelible testimony to His indomitable love. The fact that you are a Christian is because He sought you out. He is seeking out worshipers for himself. And if you don't know Christ this morning, he is setting before you the way of life. He is seeking after any and all who would come to Christ. And so hear his voice and look to Christ and receive Christ in full. Hence, We see, wherever you may be, taking this in total, worship Him. Wherever you may be, worship Him. It's not about a place, not Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem, or anywhere else. It is about a person. Through Christ, we worship, and may we unbound our worship. What do I mean by that? 
unbound. It may be that you have bound your worship to some place. I only worship in the church building. I only worship when I'm alone. That's when I really am spiritual. When I read my Bible at home. When I pray. But Jesus is saying, it is not here nor there. It is Him everywhere. There is not to be one part, whether it be in your living room, your kitchen, the grocery store, 8 a.m. or 9 p.m., lunch or dinner. Our worship is to be unbound so long as it is bound to Christ. And so, let loose a life of worship of Christ. And to all this, she responds, hearing everything Jesus is saying, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. The Samaritans, they called their Messiah Tahib, or Restorer. They thought that their prophet would tell them what they did not know. Their Bible was only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. There's a lot they did not know. Hence, Jesus told her, you you worship what you do not know. And so their Messiah would come and tell them the truth. And what did Jesus do with her? He did tell her all things. Even as she'll say later in this chapter. And to this one lone Samaritan woman, this outcast among outcasts, even when Jesus, he would not tell others, as we look at all the other Gospels, he here plainly tells this Samaritan woman, I who speak to you am he. He tells her he is the Messiah. And so he says, and he invites her in, And he invites us in to come under his salvific shade. There is no other Savior. No other one through whom we may worship Christ. I mean, what a picture has been painted for us here. Every one of us needs Christ, all of us fall short. And she sees that. And hopefully, whether you know Christ or not, all of us see that right now and say, my oh my, I need Jesus. Every hour, every day, you alone are the one that can save this sinner. Right now, we are getting ready here in Alabama for an Alabaman summer. In other words, the heat is coming. And many of you, will get your ACs going strong. You will wear your hats. You will put on your sunscreen and you will take cover from the sun. Don't let this day pass having not taken cover under and in the shade of Christ. He bore your sin and shame and wants you to honestly see your deep need for Him. He is your lone shade and the lone one to whom we may worship truly. So whoever you are, 
Consider your own soul. Consider your life. Consider Him who can save you. And as you do, don't turn away. But come to Him who can save you completely from head to toe. And you will be God's child now and forever through Him who bore your sin upon Himself. May you turn to Christ. May we all worship through Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we have heard your word from John 4, may we, every one of us, see that everything Jesus has done, the spiritual scalpel, the sin, the depths of it, our responsibility for it, our need for this Father, our need for this Savior, our need and call to worship through Christ and our call in all of life to worship Him. May all of us gladly come under Him and in Him and rejoice in the salvation that has come. If there is anyone here who is listening who does not know Christ this morning, we pray that right now that, Father, you would do your work and you would help them to turn to you. And if that's you, we pray that you would. You would trust in Christ this morning. You would not run or lie to yourself about your own sinfulness, your own depravity, your own need for Jesus. Not lie to yourself that some religiosity or some formalism or something else can save you or is what you are to worship. It is only Christ and Christ alone. And may you come to him. And Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, as you have called your children to worship. May we examine our hearts and just ask of ourselves, how are we worshiping? Are we worshiping through him? Have we put other things in his place? Are we even perhaps not taking responsibility for our own sin? That we have been the agent of conflict and trouble and so many other things with those around us. Will you call us as your children to repent and to worship through Christ? May you help us, Lord. May you be with anyone here who perhaps needs to come respond for membership or for baptism, may they do that as well. So help us, Father, we pray. We look to you. We ask of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.